Hello and welcome to another edition of the Tree City Sports Podcast. Today, we are talking about the Cleveland Browns and the Cleveland Cavaliers. Factory of Sadness it times is, two. It is a Factory of Sadness double bonus podcast. Double barrel sadness. <laughs> double barrel of sadness, yes. The Browns won this week, and yet you still find yourself just annoyed with them at all times. It's because it was the Bengals, and the Bengals are probably the worst team in the NFL this year. The Cavs are somehow more depressing. We'll talk about them in a little while. So the Browns beat the Bengals. So Nick Chubb got 16 touches, Kareem Hunt got 11, and Baker Mayfield had a 39 quarterback rating against the worst run defense in the NFL. So at a certain point, the Browns... It was like halftime, and Nick Chubb had three carries, and it's just like, what? What are you doing? Why? Yeah, and I don't, we're not going to talk about Freddie Kitchens in this podcast because we've the Browns really we've didn't. we've broken down the Freddie Kitchens situations plenty of times, mm-hmm. but there are other topics. Yeah, I mean, the Browns really didn't run that many plays this game. They only ran like fifty-two plays. I think the Bengals ran like seventy-some plays, and the Browns yeah. won because they're off because of their defense getting a pick six. Denzel Ward, good job on that play, seeing it and then just speeding down the sidelines. He's He's improved a lot more since uh, really the middle part of the year when like during like that 49ers period when we got smacked. He's been a lot better since that and since he came back, whereas Greedy now is kind of the one that's starting to have those rookie struggles at the end of the thing. For sure. I mean, we still haven't seen – I've barely seen Mitchell at all this year, really. It's barely been more Carey when they play another corner. It seems like Mitchell's points probably on the way out next year while Carey will either remain as the slot corner or he'll leave because he's – making a pretty good chunk of change himself. He was signed like a seven and a half, eight million dollar a year contract, which I mean the Browns might be able to swing that because they don't they still have one more year before they have to pay Miles Garrett after this coming up here. So that could be something they do, but you know, the Browns really could should have won that game by more than they did. And they didn't really look dominant at any point in the game, except for the you know, the first try like they do every game. They're like I think they're a top three team in the NFL the first drive of the game and they just suck the rest of the game every time. It's just it's the same old, same old with the Browns, and there's only three games left, and two of them are very winnable, and one of them is against the Ravens, which, granted, we are one of the two teams to have beaten the Ravens this year, but I think that was one of those fluke games that you can really chalk it up to for the Browns, where they just had everything locked in, and they were able to stop Lamar, and Lamar's been much, much better since that game, so it'd be interesting to see what would happen. Yeah, the Browns game was definitely not inspiring. They won, but it was kind of a shit show. I mean, um, what was the final score again? It was... No, I don't know. It was... Like 24-16, something ridiculous. Yeah, it was 24-19. Yeah. So, to touch on a couple of things that you mentioned, yeah, Denzel Ward has had kind of an up-and-down season, and I think a lot of people before the season were envisioning a lot more plays like that pick six out of him this year. He was right? gone for like five games, though. Yeah, he was. he's had injury problems throughout his career so far through two seasons. But, yeah, so coming into the year, you know, the, the, the image that people had in mind of the Browns was – getting ahead early by throwing it to their star receivers and letting Baker Mayfield tear it up, running people to death with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, and the defense making a lot of plays because they're playing from ahead. And the defense really hasn't made a lot of plays this year. Obviously not having Miles Garrett now hurts. Yeah. Um, but you know, that's one of the first impact plays we've seen from the defense this year, really. I mean, I think the defense has been okay this year. They haven't been bad. They've been pretty average. But there just haven't been those big splash plays that we kind of projected going into the year. And you're right about Greedy Williams. He's really struggled lately after starting off real strong. I'm still pretty encouraged, especially considering tackling was his weak point. Yeah, he's he's tackled well this year. He's been a good tackler, yeah. Yeah, Terrence Mitchell was 
or a really good player for us last year. And almost from the jump this year, he pretty much hasn't played. I, I guess it's just because, you know, they want to play Grady. Um, you know, he won the job in camp or whatever. I thought that Mitchell was a nice fit across from, you know, uh, Ward because he can handle bigger receivers and Ward can handle faster receivers. But ultimately, I don't think he was the long-term answer. So I guess it makes sense to get greedy his time now. That way next year he's more prepared. But of course, we also have to remember that coming into the year, the Browns were not preparing for next year. No, the Browns were trying to win this year. So, I mean, Greedy won the, and Greedy was very talented. I mean, there's a reason everyone thought he was a huge steal in the draft because the Browns did take him in the second round when he was projected to be a first round pick. So, I mean, he play, he has had his up and downs like most rookie cornerbacks. Cornerback is one of the most difficult positions to play at a high level. That's why everyone was so impressed with Denzel Ward last year and then had such high hopes for him. But at the same time, people adjust to you. People make decisions. And also Denzel Ward has just had to learn that uh, learn a new defensive scheme, whereas last year he was playing a lot more man, and this year he's doing more zone. Same with Greedy, where Greedy has had his biggest issues was in zone coverage because he has never really had to play that. And at LSU, he was always just man-to-man on people. Which so, kind of begs the question why the Browns aren't playing man to man. But well, again, part of that is Wilkes' system, and that's. But Wilkes has also done a good job of making sure that those guys are involved in tackling and then also disguising things well. I think Wilkes has done a good job of scheming the defense and making it so the defense can be in the right position. But I also do think that there are some weaknesses about the team, like such things such as that, with uh, the cornerbacks being kind of stuck on an island sometimes, or and like the third string defensive line basically starting now. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean the defensive line is which was supposed to be the strength of our team has pretty much been gutted with the exception of uh, Sheldon Richardson, who has played better since middle of the year. Yeah, he's and been good. Larry Okunjobi, who has also been, you know, pretty good, not anything special. He's settling in as a nice number two defensive tackle. Right. So, I mean, and Olivier Vernon's been hampered by injuries. And yeah. when he was healthy, he would, he would have his good games, but he'd also have games where you didn't really see much of him. And then without Miles Garrett, that creates even more pressure on Olivier Vernon. And also, so that's created pressure for people like Sheldon Richardson, who's actually had to play defensive end in a lot of starting lineups, and he's capable of doing it, but that's not where you want Sheldon Richardson. You want him in the middle, disrupting the pocket. There is a little bit of good news in the secondary. Sheldrick Redwine has had to start the past two weeks, and in training camp in the preseason and early in the season we did play, he looked completely lost and was getting shredded, and he's actually been really solid the last two weeks. He needs to play closer to the ball, though, because if they try to sure. play him off the line of scrimmage too much, they're going to have similar issues with what they did with the backup free safeties, where they're just going to get burned deep, because he is not... I think people re- don't realize how important Eric Murray was to the team, because he was playing some slot corner to take pressure off of Carey, but also... He was playing free safety at a pretty good level enough to where you trusted him to not get burned deep. And then so that was a big loss for us. And I think seeing Redwine play in the back is not what you want to see. So the last couple weeks with his success getting and making tackles and breaking things up, I think that's a kind of role for him that we should see as maybe whether it's as a starter, as a third safety, someone that's going to be in the box. He's physical enough to tackle. He needs to work on his tackling a little bit, but he's physical enough to do it. He's athletic enough to cover running backs and tight ends. And I think he could do that as long as they don't think he's a free safety. I'd prefer to put him closer. Oh, for sure. And I think next year you're probably going to see three veterans leave the Browns secondary. You're going to see Mitchell, who granted hasn't played much this year. I think at this point the ship has pretty much sailed on Demarius Randall. Yeah, I, I think I Morgan think- Burnett out of all of them has a chance to stay because he played well when he was here and he is also a good veteran. And I, th- I think also if they're depends gonna, on who's the coach. I think if they're going to do that, Burnett might start at strong safety while Eric Murray starts at free safety and they play red wine as kind of the third safety. Or if they draft a safety they, in the they, first round, which right. they could if they don't get an offensive lineman. Well, they also may cut Morgan Burnett, especially since he's an older guy coming off a serious injury. I think red wine has... That's true. He, yeah, he it's it's, it's only two weeks for red wine. 
But I think he's shown enough that if he plays well the rest of the year, then he could potentially be your starting option at free at strong safety next year, which would be great. And I think Eric Murray is a capable fill in at free safety, but I think ideally use your third safety and kind of your jack of all trades. I in think the secondary. he's an average safety that if he has to play too much, he is going to be exposed because right. he's not the biggest guy and the most athletic, but he is capable of handling. And I think the Browns are going to need him next year in a more of a utility role, especially when most likely Terrence Mitchell is gone. So we're going to need Eric Murray to be there and kind of be the Swiss army knife, be the slot corner. If TJ Carey has to play outside of greedy or Denzel's missing time. Yeah. I think, I think next year you're looking at the secondary of Redwine, Murray, Ward, greedy. I, I, I don't see why TJ Carey wouldn't come back. He's I a, think, I don't think he's making enough. No, he's, he's making a reasonable him. amount and he's been a good player for us. And I think next year, mm-hmm. all they're going to need to maybe a free safety and you know, who knows, maybe Burnett comes back and, it depends on who the coach is and also how his Achilles goes through. Because if we hire Mike right. McCarthy, he has experience with uh, Mike McCarthy with Morgan Burnett. So because he's a former Packer, so I don't know, maybe he would want him in there just to help with the culture aspect. And you know, he knows what to expect from McCarthy and vice versa. So that could be something. And we know Dorsey has talked about bringing in Packers people or Chiefs people before. So. All right, well, that's enough talking about the actual game on the field. This is the Browns, after all. We have to remember what the priorities are here. Yeah. So after the game. You know, OBJ has another suspect game. I think it was like two or three catches, like 30 yards, something like that. Again, he's Standard just he's just not a part of the offense at this point. Um, then you come in after the game, and Baker Mayfield says that the training staff didn't handle him properly and he should have had surgery, which, like, dude, what if – like, you don't throw the training staff under the bus. And there's also a report before the game by Jay Blazer, who is a very reputable reporter – that OBJ has been telling opponents, come get me in a trade before and during games. And it's just, you know, once again, the Browns are a clown show. And I think, you know, we've discussed Freddie at length, and we everyone knows how we feel about Freddie. I think that I do see a scenario in which Odell can come back next year if Freddie's gone. I think if Freddie's back, OBJ's got to go. I think if Freddie's gone and you bring a different coach in, maybe one that's more experienced and can handle OBJ a little bit better, then perhaps I could see him staying. I mean, after all, look, if the Browns are going to trade OBJ, they they're going to get back what they got, they're, which they're they not did. going to. They're not going to get what they traded for him. Um, he's coming. You don't think so? No. He's having a bad year. This is. It would be a classic buy high, sell low move by the Browns to trade for him at his peak and then sell him after he's had a terrible year. I don't doubt they can get value for him, but I think ultimately it might be better off keeping him for one more year and seeing how it works if there is a new coach. Once again, if Freddie's still here, I I think OBJ's got to go. But I think that, you know, OBJ is making a pretty reasonable, it's like $15 million. For a number one wide receiver, that's a pretty reasonable amount. Given, of course, he has in the contracts now, yes. Of course, he hasn't been a number one for the Browns this year. But I think with a new coach and, you know, a new offensive system or at least a new, you know, play caller, I think there is an opportunity for him to come back despite all the drama. I think that this is what happens when you have OBJ. You have drama. And unfortunately for the Browns this year, the special plays on the field haven't happened. And I think some of that has to do with OBJ's injury. Some of that has to do with the play calling. Some of that has to do with the lack of chemistry with him and Baker. I think all these things have conspired to have this terrible season for him. But I don't think that any of it is stuff that couldn't be fixed next year. And ultimately the drama is the drama. It probably really doesn't affect much what goes in the football field. I mean, I would love to have the Browns not be filled with drama, 
But I think if you can get OBJ healthy next year and install a system where he's used a little bit better, I don't see any reason he can't have a great year next year. Do you? No, I mean, I think he's capable of having a good year. I think it really just depends on the if the Browns do get rid of Freddie Kitchens, they got to bring in someone that is more proven and also both as, with a head coach and also a play caller that's more proven because you have to have somebody that's going to be creative and get him in open spaces because clearly what we've seen from the last couple of years with Odell is, okay, slant routes, we're going to run slant routes with him, we're going to run comeback routes with him, we're going to run all these like little curl things with him as opposed to getting him downfield, which is where he really excels because we saw that at the game we went to against the Dolphins where he got downfield and was able to make a great catch down the field for a touchdown. So I think we have to be able to get him in – find a coach that is going to put him in more advantageous positions and also, but also have an offense that's more styled around the team itself. We have a quick wide receiver that's able to get open and Odell Beckham. We have someone that is a great route runner and able to create separation for himself with Jarvis Landry. We have David Njoku probably for another year, someone that can come back and get the middle of the field along with some of the encouraging things we've seen from players like Ricky Seals Jones or Demetrius Harris, or even Steven Carlson. One of those guys is going to be back next year with Najoku. I don't know who, but one of them, I guess, will be back. Probably. I don't think I don't think it's a guarantee Najoku comes back. I think unless someone really offers something that's worth a good value for him, like I probably wouldn't take anything less than maybe a mid second round pick for him because we mm-hmm. did pay a first round pick. Because, but I also do understand you know trading him if it's necessary because he's probably going to be one of the people we don't end up paying just because there is so only so many people we can pay, and I would be okay with the Browns signing a veteran tight end or drafting another one to uh, replace him because I think he has a lot of potential, but I think at the same time he's had injuries and also just hasn't performed consistently. So it'd be, but my point being, I think if Freddie's gone, Odell can come back. And I think if there's someone that's more uh, inventive with the offense and someone that isn't just trying to, and also runs the team, like it should be like, we should be a running team that plays off of play action, play action. What is that? And also teach Baker how to no, run play action. I, I, seriously, I've, I, have, I haven't seen a single play action play this entire year because I only watched the Browns. What well, you have, action? it's just it's bad play action. The Browns suck. Anyways. You need to have – and that's why there's other head coaches coming out there. Like I don't think a lot of Browns fans would be upset right now if the coach that, was, that could have been hired last year and Kevin Stefanski got hired because he's showing a lot of promise in Minnesota getting that team back under wraps after they were a disaster last year on offense. Stefanski – Ron Rivera, Mike McCarthy, Mike McCarthy. Those are probably the three. Josh big, McDaniels. I'd say the first three we named would probably be the three biggest uh, names. Lincoln Riley. I, and I mean, realistic. I don't people. care, man. Yeah. Like, give me any of those people over free well, freaking kitchens. I don't think college coaches are going to be realistic at this point. I, I don't. Agree. I don't I, think. I don't John, think so either. I don't think John Dorsey's going to hire a first-time head coach, whether it's someone that's been in college for fifteen or twenty years, or someone that's been an NFL coach for 10, 15 so, years. Stefanski could be the exception. Stefanski was the finalist last year with Freddie Kitchens, and the only reason he didn't get the job was because of the relationship Freddie had with Baker and also the in-house success we had with Freddie. Now, a year removed from that, we're like, okay, well, let's see if we can go back now because Stefanski's shown even more so why he deserved another, why he deserved an opportunity to at least have it be a head coach because he's gotten that 40, or not that 49ers team, that Vikings team that used to be all pass, not able to utilize Dalvin Cook into a team that runs the ball heavily, uses really good play action to protect Kirk Cousins and has those receivers like we do in Cleveland that could that the quarterback can use to really create a lot of mismatches. So I think Stefanski would have that experience of dealing with that. Now he'd be a first-time head coach. I'd prefer a full time, uh, former head coach. And at this point, if McCarthy is the new, the new coach, hopefully he at least has someone that knows what they're doing with calling plays. Yep, I'm agreed with everything you just said. Anything else we can talk about the Browns? 
Uh, I mean, they're playing the Bengals coming up this week. Or not Bengals, they're playing the Cardinals coming up this week. So Two and a half point road favorites. It'll be interesting to see what they do because, I mean, the the Cardinals have had issues with scoring in the red zone, but and they do, but they do at the same time have an offense that is capable of scoring points at a pretty high clip if they get hot. I think Kyler Murray's shown a lot of ability, and the Browns have had success against a running quarterback this year with Lamar Jackson, but have also failed against other quarterbacks that have been running. So be interesting to see what happens with that game because they don't have a ton of talent, the Cardinals don't, but at the same time, the Browns don't really have their strengths that would usually be able to help us in this game. Like, for instance, the Cardinals offensive line, not the greatest, but we don't have most of our pass rush to be able to help that with that. So it's going to be a lot of watching Kyler, making sure he doesn't get wild, and then also making sure that those wide receivers are not getting into those wide open spaces like they have been with Kingsbury's offense. Yeah, it could be a game where you really miss Miles Garrett because Miles Garrett did a tremendous job spying, or not even spying, but just containing uh, when we played Lamar Jackson. So Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see. I mean, the Browns in th- will probably be favored in two of their last three games, with the one exception being the home game against the Ravens, but they shouldn't be favored in that game. So it'll be int- I think the, a lot of fans, if you had to guess right now, would say the Browns will probably finish 8-8, eight and eight, but we got to win this week first and put some, at least end the season on a good note. Well... From a mediocre drama-filled team to an absolutely, we might as well just get into it. To right an now. absolutely terrible drama-filled team, the Cleveland Cavaliers. So the Cavs have lost six in a row and twelve of their last fourteen, including nice. including lo- losing their last four games by an average of twenty-four and a half points. Nice. And one of those was six points. You can imagine how the other three went. So there have been multiple reports coming out in the past couple weeks about the Cavs. I'll just go in order of when they came out. First, the report was the Cavs are open to trading Kevin Love. Next report was veteran players ignoring Beeline, not liking him, thinking he's not a good NBA head coach, and basically just totally disrespecting him. Third is Kevin Love prefers a trade. Fourth is Kevin Love wants to play for the Blazers, get him out of Cleveland. Yeah. So, you know, this season is obviously not going how we thought it would go. I mean, in some ways it is. I didn't think the Cavs would be good, that's for sure. But – Colin Sexton it hasn't really progressed at all. He's taking more mid-range jumpers again, which is not good, and he, it's just pretty ugly. I mean, he Tristan Thompson is averaging as many assists per game as Colin Sexton is, and that's not good. I think we found out that that pick is probably going to be something that, best case, he's a role player. I think he could be a really nice scorer off the bench. Yeah. And that's your first lottery pick of your rebuild. Darius Garland, your second lottery pick of your rebuild, has been worse than bad. Him. I, I think I will continue to say that I like the way Garland tries to play. He's calm. He's under control. He sees the floor. He tries to make the right pass. He can shoot. Problem is he cannot score on the basket at all. He's not drawing fouls at all. Yeah, he's not very physical. And, you no, know, he's overmatched physically. He doesn't appear to have athleticism required to play in the NBA. Now, granted, he played four games in college and he torched his knee almost immediately uh, upon getting to college. So he's a little behind, I guess, in the training aspect, and I think there's room for that to improve. But it hasn't been an encouraging start either way. So, yeah, Jetty Osman is just Jetty Osman. Some games he looks really nice. Some games he looks like he's, like, stepping on the basketball court for the first time ever. Yeah. it's This is the Cavs this year, and I think ultimately I will continue to say that trading – you know, whatever veterans you can trade for future assets will continue to be the right move because the Cavs are very far away from being a competitive team. Even if they keep Thompson in love, they're just not anywhere near being competitive. And 
by the time that Love and Thompson are, by the time the Cavs are competitive, Love and Thompson will be so far past their primes. There's really not a lot of point in keeping them around here. Thompson is a guy I'd be willing to re-sign long-term as a team leader, but ultimately, you know, I think you're going to see the Cavs move some guys this year if they can. Yeah. I mean, Tristan might be able to stay just because, A, he's a leader, but also he's an expiring contract, so the Browns don't really have an incentive to trade him because they're going to get that $19 million off of the books after this summer. Kevin Love is a little bit more different, whereas he still has, I think his extension started this year, so he still has four years on that $120 million contract. Yeah, three so years after this year. If you can trade him then for a sh- for you know expiring contracts and maybe a decent young asset, then that's a win if you're the Cavs because that means you're getting rid of that much money on the salary cap and just kind of focusing on building up the team to then where if you if you do hit in the draft, then that's when you can, you know, spend that money on those players that then perform. Yeah. So looking specifically, I think there's a a few teams that could use love, but his contract makes it really difficult. I think a team would have to be either a giving you a bad contract and then including assets in the deal, which I think the Cavs should be opening to open to in the right deal. But also, I think it could be a desperate team. And Portland has been long thought of as a potential match for Love. They're desperate. Love wants to go there. He's from the area. And they're desperate because they went to the Western Finals last year, and they are well below 500 this year, and they're struggling, and they they want to be a playoff team. That contract is rough, um, but... It'd be an all-in move for them. Yeah, they have the contract to give to us, which is Hassan Whiteside. Great. Problem being, he's their starter currently. They're waiting on their real starter, Yusuf Nurkic. I think until Nurkic comes back, they really can't trade Whiteside. You know, that doesn't mean they can't make a trade with the Cavs at some point. they can play love at the five if they really want to. Well, maybe, but they're really thin up front as it is. Either way, I think Whiteside makes sense as a salary filler and expiring. They have Zach Collins, who's probably their best asset. He's a really nice kind of power forward center. He's a similar player to Kevin Love, just, you know, not nearly on that level yet. Yeah. I would I, I would really love Collins as a return for Love. They have their own first-round pick this year. They have Anthony Simons, who's a scoring guard, a young guy who I think I kind of like as a player. I don't love as a fit next to two other scoring guards. Um, and they also have Nasir Little, who was uh, picked just after Kevin Porter Jr. for the Cavs this year, mm-hmm. um, and is kind of a, a project type of player. I think Collins is by far my number one asset to get from the Blazers. I think their first-round pick this year will be my next, and then probably Nasir Little, number three. Um, ultimately, I, I think the Blazers make a lot of sense as a trade destination for Love. The question is whether Portland can get Nurkic back in time to where, A, they feel like they can actually make the playoffs, and B, to where they feel like they can comfortably trade Whiteside. Yeah, because it really depends. Well, it also just depends on, you know, other teams that maybe try to step up to the plate that are desperate. Like maybe Utah comes in as a dark horse because they could use a score, a stretch person next to Gobert. If Gobert or if they can't play Gobert at some points, they might need someone to play small ball five because they don't longer have Derek Favors, who granted – wasn't anything special, but they have, did lose a little bit of depth. And Bogdanovich is not the type of guy you want to play a power forward for heavy minutes. So that could a team like that, or because I don't think a team like the Nuggets would really go for a team for a player like Kevin Love. He doesn't he doesn't really fit next to Jokic. He doesn't really help you know Jamal Murray or any of those guys. And you're not going to get back re- the return that you would want really for him. They're not going to give you any of their good guys like Gary Harris or anything like that for for him. So I think. It's most likely going to be a Western team. I don't really see any team in the East that would really be going for him. I don't think Milwaukee maybe could, but what assets do they really have? 
And would you really trade him inside of your own conference? That's the question. Well, and they already have Brooke Lopez, who's kind of plays that stretch five role. They do. And it, it, or, you know, I don't think the Raptors would really be doing, would be looking for him. I think if, it's, if he's going to get traded, it's going to be a team out West that needs that last piece because like you said, that's a bloodbath in that Western conference to try to make the playoffs. So any team that's desperate enough to try to make it through and take and willing to take on that contract, then that's definitely the Browns. They're not the Browns. The Cavs need to be exploring those avenues because I love Kevin Love, but I've said this so many times. He deserves to play somewhere else and actually compete for it. Well, and again, like last year, it was the first rebuilding year and he had a good attitude. He, he missed a lot of games last year, which I guess helped or hurt, depending on how you look at it. He's like, oh, I don't have to play for this crap team. Right. Cool. This year, there was going to be a sense of progress and it just hasn't been there. And I think that obviously, I mean, look, Love is averaging nine points a game in the last six games, which is just a disgrace. But he's not really involved in the offense. He is playing pretty listlessly. I, I mean, he, I think he's pretty defeated at this point, and there's a long, long season ahead. I think ultimately it's best for both parties to move Kevin Love. And that's not saying that Kevin Love's a malcontent or a bad locker room guy or anything. I, it's just there's no reason for Kevin Love to be playing for this team at this point in his no. career. So – you know, Jordan Clarkson's another option. I think the Cavs will probably move him at some point. Um, Clarkson's a fun player. He's someone I could see maybe Clarkson's next a, year. Clarkson's a fun player, and he's a guy that I enjoy having on the Cavs just because the Cavs have so few actual decent NBA players. But I think he'll probably get moved to a contender considering he's an expiring contract. Yeah, he could be a good role player for a team that needs an extra punch off the bench. Yeah, he, he could fit a lot of places because his contract is a lot more reasonable. Tristan Thompson also could get moved. Like I said before, I'm – you know, I wouldn't mind bringing back Thompson as a veteran leader, but if, you know, at a certain point, he also might get tired of being the one guy playing really hard out there and making the right play over and over again and losing all these games. And he can and also be more valuable yeah. than Kevin Love because he's an expiring contract. Yes. And, and also he can fit anywhere because yeah. any team can use kind of an energy defensive rebounding big. He could start for a team or he could come off the bench as a super sub playing like 28 to 30 minutes a game for them. He absolutely could do that. And anyone could use, like you said, someone that's physical, can play switchable defense. He's not at the peak level he was when the Cavs were winning championships, but he's still a good enough defender. And who knows, maybe putting him on a team that's actually competing would give him a little bit more fire. He's still one of the best offensive rebounders in the NBA. He's still able to block shots at enough of a level and he's still athletic and he hasn't missed games except for really the one uh, time last year when he was finally missed games because, you know, it eventually caught up with him. So I think he could get more for another team. Now you would probably, he isn't expiring, so teams might not be willing to trade a ton for him just because, you know, he might not stay with them after that year. But I think you might get more for an expiring $19 million than a, 20, than a $30 million a year or $29 million a year for the next four years, which is what you're st- – or for the next three years after this year, which is what you are with Love. Yeah, I think ultimately the way you're going to get the most assets is by taking on long-term salary for either guy. Um, but I think in a, in a vacuum, I think that Thompson may be more valuable simply because of the contract – I mean, the thing about love is when you're trading love, you're taking on $30 million of salary. So that might be more valuable just because a team can get rid of a, a contract to get love. But either way, I think it's best for the Cavs to trade most of their veterans, maybe keep Thompson. Um, but if they trade Thompson, that's fine. The Cavs need to be an asset collection phase. I think they still are for the most part, but the Cavs don't have a lot of extra assets right now. And I think that any extra assets you can get as ammunition going forward is very helpful because Look, long term, there is very, very little real NBA talent on this Cavs roster. Yeah. And right now, 
there is not a single player on the Cavs roster that I feel comfortable saying, yes, that guy will be a starter on a playoff contender three year or five years from now. And I, it's, it's not great. And again, there's a lot of time for a lot of these guys. I mean, the Cavs are but, one of the least talented teams in the NBA. For a Yes, they are. Our Cleveland Cavaliers. Gotta love them. Yeah. So we'll be back next week after the Browns game. Uh, we'll update you on the Cavs accordingly, although, you know, it's... We still not, suck. Yeah, it's not going to be a newsworthy year for the Cavs. Hopefully the Browns can get through one week without major drama, but quite frankly, I doubt it. Check out the Red and Blue podcast, part of Tree C Sports Sports Network. Check out Tree City Records on Twitter and on the internet. Uh, please. There's a new podcast out now on Tree City Radio as well for Destiny uh, I 2. I forgot. The Fire ahead, Team Fire it. Pack, which I if, if I helped you know kind of do sound stuff, and that'll get better for the next episode, but... Uh, Tree City Kid, also known as Bryant Rogers, and then Olam, the, they are they do a podcast now called Fire Team Fire Pack, where they talk about Destiny Two, a game that they both play it quite amount. So starting to get a little bit more into video games sometimes for podcasts as well. But at the same time, make sure you check out all of our sports content as well because we will be coming out like Andrew said with more Browns content, more Cavs content, and more uh, sports as the you know the football season ends and we start getting a little bit more into the off season we always appreciate the listens it does mean a lot to us we also appreciate any reviews you give us wherever you listen we will talk to you guys next week peace peace